0: Oh, Jesus, it is good for us to be together today. For those who are joining us on live stream, they were raising their hands right along in whatever space they were in. For those of us here, we're lifting up our hands to you. We celebrate today your faithfulness. We celebrate your love and your goodness as you have carried us through so beautifully. Some may not feel that right now. They might be feeling that burden, the heaviness of all that is going on in their own lives and in the world. I pray that as we worship together, that you, God, would be very near to them and that they would sense your presence right now. May the body of believers here around them or even at home knowing that people love them may you use that to strengthen their soul today. Now, Holy Spirit, prepare us in mind and heart as we hear your word together today. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In Matthew chapter 24, we see Jesus talking about the signs of the end. Now, we know that this is a dual signs of the end. He's talking about the destruction of the temple in AD 70, which for those disciples was the end of all the security and the confidence that they had in their whole life. That was a sign of their end that they experienced right then, the struggle that they faced. But we also know that there is a mirrored signs of the end for us as well. Signs of the end of time. And so in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus shares with his disciples these instructions. What follows in Matthew chapter 25 are specific stories that tell the people of God what to be doing in light of what he shared of the time of the end. In Matthew chapter 25, what we find there is Jesus instructing the believers in what we are to be doing as we experience these signs of the end. First, we see 10 virgins. Then we see 10 talents or bags of gold. There's eight of them there, five, two, and one. Then we see sheep and goats. In the 10 virgins, we see this question of, do you have oil? Are you experiencing God? All of them fall asleep. All of them struggle at some point. All of them go through something. Going through a struggle is never a sign that God is not with you. Amen? Amen. Going through a challenge is never the sign that God's presence is not with you or God's favor is not upon you. But God is asking, do you have reserves? Do you have the oil of my spirit? Then with the talents or the bags of gold, the five, the two, the one, the question is what are you doing with what you have been given? What are you gonna do in light of the signs of the end? What are you gonna do with what I've put in your hands? Then the last one is the sheep and the goats. And I want to read that one with you. If you have your Bibles or your phones, you can turn to Matthew chapter 25 and go to verse 31. when did you see, we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Pastor Jesse, if we were to summarize this here, it's love is action, isn't it? Right? When did we see you and, and feed you or give you something to drink or clothe you? Matthew 25 guides our response to the signs of the end. Do you have an active connection with God? What are you doing with what you've been given? You see the oil and the talents or the money become food and drink and clothing and hospitality and hope for other people. How are you meeting the needs of those around you? Jesus said, you see righteous ones don't just show up at the time of the end. They are those who are living the kingdom now. I'm gonna say that one more time. Righteous folks don't just show up at the end. It's those who are living, struggling, going through the process now, living the kingdom now. As one theologian said, we're living in a double exposed photograph. The last day and the present day are both in the same picture. We have no idea what's preparing us for which. This is what the church does in response to, to the time of the end. We're in a story called, uh, series called the stories that shape us. And I bet that you have some stories here this morning that if I were to ask you what stories have influenced your life, that you would tell me amazing stories about your uncle or your grandmother or this person you met and influenced your life. There's so many people that have had an effect on your life. You are the person you are and I am the person I am because of the people that I've encountered, amen? We are shaped by the stories that we experience. Now for us, in our history, as a church, we have some amazing stories. One of those I'm going to share with you today. Merritt Kellogg was the half-brother of John Harvey Kellogg, which you know because of his cereal, right? Anyone know Kellogg's cornflakes? Oh man. No one? Oh, good, all right. John Harvey Kellogg, this is his half brother that we're talking about, and he was the first one of the Adventists who went to California. And in 1859, he made his way out to San Francisco, got a good paying job, and then started to talk with people and started to get to know people. And there was another man who was Adventist who had moved there from New York. And there were others who believed in the near return of Christ. So he started sharing with them about the Advent message, about the three angels message. And they started worshiping together as a company observing Sabbath. In 1864, they held an offering, they raised a campaign, and they gathered in gold $133. They forwarded it on to Battle Creek, and President James White received it. And we have this record that he wrote in the review. He said, do not be discouraged. We believe in due time, the Lord will provide men and means for the proclamation of truth in California. Just hold on. They had already been holding on at that point for five years. Then the general conference session was coming in 1868. So how long have they held on now? Nine years they've been waiting. But in 1868, they were having general conference session. Now this one man, Elder D.T. Bordeaux, he woke up with a dream he had a vision that God told him and his wife to sell all they had. So they sold their horse, they sold their carriage, they sold all their household belongings. And in Vermont, they packed everything up that they needed, their clothes, and they took their banknotes and they said, we're ready to go to GC session because we are going to go to some distant Western field. We know that God has called us to the distant Western mission field. And so as they were preparing, they moved out to general conference knowing that God was sending them somewhere. You see how they did general conference session was a bit different. If you've been around Seventh-day Adventist church for a while, you know that we're having another session this coming year, but they had a session and all the ministers came to that one place and they Here's what their practice was. And this is through the words of John Lofborough, who was there. He said that every minister was instructed to go off for a day or two. Wouldn't that be beautiful, Pastor Starla? They went off for a day or two and they were to inquire of the Lord, where would you have me serve next? And so they all went off after hearing the reports. And of course, Kellogg had made for himself the, the report that we need someone in California. We need a minister in California. And they all went off to pray. And after two days, they came back and they heard those reports. And as they were standing up and saying, this is where the Lord has told me to go, and this is where the Lord has told me to go, all but two had given their report. Loughborough and Bordeaux had not spoken anything yet. And so Elder James White said, has no one had any impressions to go to the California field Loughborough then jumped up to his feet and he said, I've been given dreams and visions for California and God intends for me to go there. And he started to describe it. And he said, the whole, the spirit moved over the whole crowd and they said, now is the time. Even though we've been invited before, now is the time. The work needs to go forward in California. And James Elder White, Brother White said this, when the Lord sends forth his servants, he sends them two by two. Is there no other on one whose mind has been led to the California field? Then Elder Bordeaux, the last one to speak, jumped to his feet and he said, my wife and I have everything sold. We have banknotes. We were impressed to go to a Western, far-reaching, distant field. And California it is. So these two, were instructed by Elder White they said he said go for 12 days pray alone and pray together and confirm that this is truly the will of the lord that god would have you go to california and so they went off and they prayed and i love their words bro shared that he said every time we would come together and pray we would divide and pray we would come together and the word of the lord was always california or nothing California or nothing. At the end of those 12 days, Elder White said to them, we're about to print it in the review. What has God confirmed for you? And they said the only three words, California or nothing. And he said, that's exactly what we felt impressed of. And so they began this journey. They had a tent made for $1,000 so they could meet outside and they gathered their things together and they went to New York. Now it's not like they could just hop on a plane and come out this way. But 24 days later, they would land in California. Taking a steamer and a train and another steamer, they made their way out this direction and they landed in San Francisco. And the Lord worked on behalf of the two, Loughborough and Bordeaux, as they made their way this direction. Now they didn't do that because it was comfortable. They have some stories about this journey and they have some stories about the time that they were there, but they did it because they had experienced the goodness and the love of God and they wanted to share it. And so they were coming to the mission field of California before it was even a state, they were heading out this way and they had in their heart to share the message of Jesus. Now there was this group that were independents and they were meeting there. And this is one way that God confirmed that he had wanted them to go as they were going to head out in New York. One of the papers printed across two evangelists heading off to California with a tent. Now that paper was forwarded across to California and this group of independents read it and they said, this is what we are waiting for. And The problem was that shortly after they read this, shortly after they felt in this impression, they got put on, I know you're not gonna be familiar with this, quarantine. They got put on quarantine. Now you don't know what that is, so let me just tell you a little bit about what that is. It means that the whole of life shut down. They did this thing called shelter at home. I know, it's really hard to understand. Let me just help you out for a minute. They were in this town called Petaluma, and they asked everyone to stay at home. We can't imagine it. They asked everyone to stay at home because smallpox was breaking out. And for one whole month, they couldn't leave their home. Can you imagine? No. They stayed there at home for a whole month. Now it sounds easy, huh? But they were on quarantine. And so they sought the Lord and they prayed and they said, if you want us to connect with these two evangelists that are coming out, show us who they are because we don't know the timing of when they'll be there. It wasn't like a quick internet search could lead them to where they were. So they kept waiting and praying. The quarantine lifted and they immediately went to the place where the ship would be received. And they inquired, was there a tent on board this ship? Can you imagine that question? Is there a tent? On board the ship? They said, yes. And it just came in and it's about to be delivered that exact day. And they went and they sought them out and they found the two evangelists and they brought them back. And the man who had had a dream while he w- it was still, they were still far off. He looked and he said this to his wife. He said, wife, there they are. Those are the identical men that I saw in my dream. And so God confirmed for brother Wolf, that these two were the ones that they had to invite to set up their tent in their town of Petaluma. So they set up the tent there. And I know it's hard to imagine, but they had great success because everyone just wanted to get out. I think that played into it. That's just my own reading. They were the first public gathering after quarantine. And so everyone rushed to the tent. And they had great success as they were there. So the Lord confirmed for Loughborough and for Bordeaux again and again, we led you here. And the work in California eventually led to our area and God worked miracles. This California field that now is where we are. Ellen White also had a vision and sent this letter to Loughborough and to Bordeaux and she said, you must be generous in your way of approaching the work in California. I know you're penny pinchers, you did it in New England, but in California you must be generous with the people. So she sent this instruction to them. So this story shapes our story because imagine if they hadn't risked, imagine if they hadn't said yes, imagine if they hadn't took the leap. They went on to make a difference in people's lives, both in proclamation and in service. The church moved forward in strength. After the signs of Matthew chapter 24, there's Matthew chapter 25. What does the church do when times are hard? What does the church do during times of quarantine? What does the church do during difficult obstacles and challenges that we're facing? Well, we give, we risk, we go outward. These risky journeys, not in exposure to others, I should do a disclaimer. These risky journeys that they made, was following the spirit out of love for other people. Jesus is clear about the timing for the last judgment. The gospel will be preached to the whole world, then the end comes. But he doesn't let us know the exact time. All he lets us know is what we are expected to be doing. Feed people, give them water, welcome, clothe, care for, visit. You are meant to be the body of Christ. See, COVID is a great revealer, right? It doesn't create, it just reveals. The great pain that people are experiencing, the great loss of meaning, the loss of God. If I were to ask right now, how many of you have struggled with belief in a good God? I think most would raise your hands. This is not something new. We have struggled with this before. In this season, we're being broken open though. In this season as everything is canceled, as things change, as we don't know what to expect, as the consistency in our lives is shifted and changed. During this time, we are being broken open. As a society, we see injustice and chaos and pain. And in that gap, I want to remind you that in that gap, as people's needs are met, as love is shown, people see meaning and they see God. Just like that beautiful spoken word that you shared right, right then in the midst of what, Kayla, that was just so powerful. In the midst of right where we are, as we call out to God, the church makes the invisible visible. The love of God and the existence of God and the meaning that we're called to becomes visible as the people of God take action in the world. Until that gap where generosity rises and open-heartedness and validation, we don't get to see that which is invisible, but the people of God make it visible. I experienced this story this past week that is beautiful and unique, but at the same time, it has happened so many times, even during these years that I've been at Azure Hills. It's incredible. There's a long legacy of giving this way in the world. A student who has a dramatic need, an impossible need, an overwhelming need. They have drive and passion to serve, to get educated, yet the gap between what they have and what they need in order to accomplish their vision feels impossible. Generosity rises from the people of God. And we had a phone conversation this week in which they said, everything is met. You see, everything came in. People shared so generously, and now I have all that I need. Friends, that's the invisible becoming visible. That's the people of God rising up as people go outward. The work of God in California, the trials and the challenges, and yet the persistence to keep going. This, the first week of this series, we talked about when things are hard, we pull together who are you and who is God to retreat, to live and rest in the rhythm of God no matter what chaos is around us. Then last week we talked about getting creative, that the church calls out, let there be, and in that chaos of creation that God brings forth life. Today we're invited to go outward. And especially psychologists, one of the trauma therapists that I just listened to her this week, she said that when people are struggling with anxiety and depression, one of the very best things you can advise them to do is to think about someone else. Think about how can I meet the need of someone else and give generously. You see, our God is the God of the gap. Our God is the God who shows up in weakness and dependence a God of the margins, a God who shows up in the connections between people. For many people, they struggle with the existence of God. You here today might be struggling. Does God really exist? Does God really care? After all that I've been through, after all of the suffering in the world, after all the death that we've seen this, this year and this season. Yet, in this brokenness, It's like a giant muscle with tears and gaps from exercise. It can become greater strength. It can become stronger. As people see the invisible made visible, we can experience a God who's present right here. What does it look like for us to be the body of Christ? Pastor Jesse has been leading us in a love is action this week. And Pastor Jesse and Ava are going to make their way to come forward. And no, not my Ava, a two and a half year old might have one or two sentences to say, but we have an older Ava. Ava is going to share how God has worked this week. Love is action. And God has been showing up in this love is action this
1: week well i first want to introduce ava hi ava hi you could use the mic hi so on facebook thing awesome for the elderly can you share a little bit about what you've been doing yes um- So me and my Girl Scout troop have been working on a project for the elderly, because recently COVID has been affecting many different ways, and we wanted to help with that. Um, one of them is they can't leave their houses and they can't have visitors, so we wanted to help them out with that. We are going to have we we are going to be building bookshelves with books, DVDs, and puzzles, and games, and we are going to be giving them to three different elderly facilities in our community, and we hope that that will make them uh, happier and less lonely. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. And this is coming from Ava, right? Imagine what we can do as a church. So if you want, if you have DVDs, right? And if you have, what else? Books and games and puzzles. And puzzles, you can contact me and contact Ava, but this is what Love is Action is all about. Now, me, I'm an introvert And I don't like talking to people, believe it or not. But my next door neighbor, I just moved into a new home, and my dad is the opposite. He's an extrovert, and he's talking to everyone. And I'm like, okay, this is Love is Action Week. How am I gonna get to know my neighbors? So I got to know my next door neighbor. Turns out she's a healthcare professional, she works at Loma Linda Hospital, she's a nurse and I was able to give her dinner. And when I texted her and I was like, hey, cause you know, again, I'm an introvert, so I texted. And I was like, hey, would you like some dinner? Our church is doing Love is Action and we wanna bless you today. And she was like, actually, this is amazing because it's my sister's birthday and we would love to celebrate. So I ordered them some Thai and they were able to eat together. This is what love is all about. And we're so happy that we get to share love as a community. So thank you, Ava, for being an example of what love is. Beautiful. Amen.
0: Isn't that beautiful? You know, one of the days we invited you to give gift cards for our brothers and sisters in Northern California who have been going through so much with the fires, and our pastoral colleague, Pastor Jesse, and I both know um, said that on that day that those started coming in that she sat with tears because that was a a good timing of the gifts of, of your gifts as God was sharing with her community as they're facing so much loss. If you didn't get the chance to, to see that, you can go back and check it out. We gave $25 gift cards to Target and Walmart so that people, they could be dispersed among so many people. Um, actually, she has church members that lost everything and they just need something to fill in the gap as they are trying to figure out what their lives are, are doing right now. Ava, Pastor Jesse, thank you so much. What does the church do when times get hard? Do we stock up on rice and toilet paper and circle the wagons and make sure we have enough? Yes, please do that too. But then we go outward, we share, In addition to getting rice and toilet paper for ourselves, we share it with other people. We don't just wait for a second wave and make sure that we do it differently, but we say, who can I bless? Because I know that God has blessed me so that I can be a blessing for someone else. This blessing is too big for me to hold it myself. It's more, I need to share it because God has given it to us. There's a story, and this is the story I'm gonna close with. There's a story that has been told so many times in devotional books and in sermons and in motivational speeches. Now I'm gonna tell you first how it's told and then I'm gonna tell you how it actually happened. Special Olympics, summer, Seattle, 1976. Nine contestants, each with disabilities, running a hundred yard dash. The starting gun sounds. One boy stumbles and falls just off the start line and he scrapes his knee and a howl goes up from him. You know, parents, that howl that just is so deep. He starts crying and all of the other contestants turn around and look at him. Now this is how it was told. They all go back and they pick him up and they link arms and they cross the finish line together. Instead of alone. Now, it's a really beautiful story. Turns out it is too good to be true. Because that's not what happened. The other eight, all of them did not come back. That is how it is in real life, though, isn't it? Not everybody turns around. Not everybody comes back. So let's be honest, there is real pain. Let's be honest, we have real scraped knees and we have tears and there are times when no one notices and there are times when we feel alone and there are times we look for hope. But you see, even though all eight didn't come back, two did come back. Two stopped, not only noticed like all of them, but two of them went back and they linked arms, one on either side of him and they carried him all the way to the finish line. So perhaps, though all didn't notice, perhaps it's a more true story of life. Some did notice, and perhaps this week I get to be one of those who notices. Perhaps this week you get to be one of the ones who comes back. Perhaps you get to be the one that hears the cry and doesn't keep going, but turns around to link arms with one you could be the one who risks and goes outward. To the one who turned back, I can imagine God saying, what you did for them, you did for me.